Digital Marketing Radio, episode 239. How to establish clear business systems for your team as your company scales. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends shared by today's modern marketing masters. Have you built a business that keeps you busy, busy, busy? Do you struggle to initiate any new digital marketing activity simply because you're snowed under by whatever you're doing? In this episode 239 of Digital Marketing Radio, we help you to establish clear business systems for you and your team as your company scales so that you never have to say no to the next business or marketing opportunity. Joining me to discuss that is a lady who has the systems, knowledge and experience to optimise ad campaigns, generate new leads and modernise your marketing strategy. She is a Facebook and Instagram expert and a marketing coach and a consultant and the CEO of It Media. Welcome to DMR, Ashley Monk. Thank you, David. So excited and honoured to be here. I'm so, so thrilled for this conversation as well. I think it's one that a lot of agency owners need to be having as well as other entrepreneurs as they scale. Great. Okay, we're recording this live on um, LinkedIn and as well as uh, YouTube and other places. And Sandeep is already saying, yes, I'm a data researcher here. Thanks. So uh, good stuff. <laughs> we're already getting some people keen to see what you're going to be sharing today, Ashley. So you can find off Ashley over at, I would just say first, um, buyitmedia.com. That's about BYITmedia.com. So I, I just want to ask you, ask you first, um, Ashley, um, as a marketer, uh, I find this, it's easy to get excited by marketing technology and trying a new marketing channel. How do you persuade someone like me not to actually try something new all the time, actually to focus on what I'm currently doing and become more efficient at it instead of trying something new? Oh, it's so hard, David. And I have the same tendency too. I think all of us as marketers, we desire to solve problems. We get sucked in and we have shiny, I call it shiny software syndrome (laughs) instead of shiny (laughs) object syndrome, because we have this tendency to get engrossed in the next software, the next big thing. And it's part of what makes us successful too, as entrepreneurs, as agency owners, um, that drive and that hunger to thirst after those software is a huge factor in what allows us to be innovative. It allows us to continue to evolve as new changes and tactics um, emerge. However, the uh, the issue and the challenge becomes if we're so quickly hopping to the next thing, um, not everybody, especially as we scale a company and we bring on team members, is able to adapt as quickly as we are, right? Um, entrepreneurs are adaptable, they're moldable, but um, as you grow your team, a lot of those people are going to have different characteristics, um, different strengths, and it can be very, very hard for them to adapt. And so when it comes to trying and being tempted to go to the next big thing, my recommendation and what I've had to do (laughs) to rein myself in for having this next tendency is really trying to look at the gaps in your business before you jump to that. So I even have a folder in my project management tool that we'll talk about, I'm sure in a little bit, um, that is designated to new software and new things that I would like to try. Um, But when we do that, the key is phasing it out. So how would 
I persuade you? My recommendation would be before you jump to any new tool, try to go ahead and look at what problem you would want that tool to solve before mm. you make the switch. If it's a legitimate issue within your company that's impeding traffic flow, that's impeding your results, um, that's impeding your ability to deliver for clients, then yes, it may be time to go ahead and explore something different and to look into resources. But when it comes to switching software for the sake of switching software, that's when it's time to maybe hold down the brake and create a running checklist of things that you may want to explore later, but probably aren't as urgent as the bug in you itching <laughs> may, may lead them to be. That sounds very logical. And, and I really like your advice about um, allocating maybe time each week to try out new things. That way you can perhaps have that itch at that certain point of the, the, the week and uh, not, get, not get too frustrated and not being able to actually try new things, but you're doing it for a reason. You're doing it strategically. Absolutely. What are some examples of quick wins that a marketer can tend to achieve by establishing clear systems instead of doing things higgledy piggledy, I would call it? Yes, I would say, oh, there are so many. It's hard to give just one, right? But I would say the biggest, I guess the quickest win would be allowing you to hit milestones and to see measurable success. As marketers, what makes us successful for our clients and delivering results or even getting our own results for our company if you're in a different industry um, and that success comes from our adaptability and our uh, our ability to assess trends and to react. Um, and so when you have systems to be able to track those things, you're going from being reactive in your marketing efforts to being proactive. You've got a way to measure your success. You have a way to be able to streamline and to kind of see those things. So I would say, first and foremost, having those systems in place allows you to see the momentum that you're actually making instead of just feeling like you're in a reactive space drowning and jumping from task to task. Uh, that would be the first quick win. I've got plenty more if you want to dive <laughs> okay, down well, that we, rabbit we, maybe as well. Re revisit some more just in a second. Um, I'm sure. just imagining things from the perspective of a marketer who's just not um, systematizing or systemizing. I actually had a look um, on Google recently. Is it systematizing or is it systemizing? And apparently both ways of saying <laughs> it is correct. So that's all right. Good to know. Good to yeah. know. Uh, so, so, so how do you actually establish what to systemize initially to give you the best, most effective impact from doing so? I'll give you the advice that a coach just continues to give me that's been the most helpful. And it's you systemize when you have a new problem to solve. So I, I'll unpack that a little bit more um, in the sense that as your business scales, as your company continues to grow, um, I'll use the agency model as an example. So as you take on more and more clients, your systems will break. Um, the more clients that you have coming on, what got you here, that's the expression I believe, is what got you here won't get you there. And mm. so the systems that you have to serve 10 or 15 clients probably will not be the same systems that will allow you to serve 30 clients, 50 clients, right? There will be new levels of automation. Um, there will just be more things that are required. Um, and so when it comes down to <laughs> trying to kind of stay in the lane and trying to figure out how to implement these, um, you want to be thinking, you don't want to think too far ahead and create a bunch of systems and processes for things that don't exist yet. Right. Which is the tendency. I think some marketers just go and it's like, oh, well, just create stuff for everything. Well, you want to be able to identify, I'll give you a practical example that we're facing right now within our internal company. Um, we've onboarded 
significantly more Facebook advertising clients than we have in the past. And so this month in particular, it used to be that we could track um, in our project management tool, all of their campaigns separately and have our media buyer be able to do that separately. What we're realizing now with the amount of clients coming in, um, it's very inefficient and we get task fatigue for that person to switch between task to task. And so that's a legitimate problem because the more clients that come on, those what the few seconds or the few minutes that it took to switch back um, between, I don't know, 20 clients, right, is different than switching back and forth between 50. And so that's an indicator that, okay, there's time being wasted. This person is working significantly more than they need to. Let's see how much of this we can automate or if we can create a new infrastructure to make this more efficient. So that's kind of the point. Um, when things start to break or you're starting to notice maybe you're spending more time on something before you make a new hire um, and bring somebody else on, um, it's important to see what you can automate or maybe what you can streamline because chances are um, you're just not being the most efficient as you could be with the new problems you have to solve. Okay, um, so when something breaks, what's the the approach that you need to take in order to establish the most efficient way to, to fix it? How do you go about maybe selecting software or systems or perhaps even additional people that, that may be required in order to fix what you've just broken? Oh, I love that. And I do love, I love, I love hate when things break. Um, obviously the process or the time that it takes, right, to go in and fix everything. It's like, oh my goodness. But when things break, it's exciting because it means growth is happening. It's just that indicator that, okay, growth is happening. Therefore we need to nip this immediately so that it doesn't, the problem doesn't perpetuate. Um, so when it comes to being able to really figure out how do we, how do we know when to do this? I'm a huge and a firm believer of reverse engineering everything that you do. So um, what I mean by that is let's say um, specifically with your campaigns, right? Um, I'm just going to go back. I always gravitate to the Facebook ad examples, but let's say that you're having an issue tracking certain key performance indicators. Um, what you would want to do, and maybe you're having difficulty getting them to your clients on a timely manner and managing reporting, automation, all of those things. You want to just go ahead. I recommend doing a big brain dump or even a mind map and just getting everything, all the problems out of your head <laughs> so that you can have a clear mind. Um, then you want to work backwards. So um, if we're taking client reporting and client communication, for instance, you want to work backwards with kind of what the end goal is or the expectation that you and the client want to have. Um, and then we work backwards from there. So um, we tend to overcomplicate these things. And the biggest issue that I see a lot of people making typically is creating all these complex systems that either only work for one person or that are unnecessary. That great, you created this beautiful system, but it it's not necessary and it doesn't actually solve a problem. So that's why working backwards and reverse engineering it. So if it's a reporting issue, right, you want to get clear on, okay, what was that person's expectation? What do I ultimately want to solve? And then we work backwards step by step incrementally to be able to create the overall framework that gets us there. I love how you actually said start off with a client in mind. I'm not sure a lot of people would do that. I think a lot of people would just try and build a system that's as efficient as possible for them, but not necessarily with a client in mind. Yeah. And I think that's another point too, that I think is very, very helpful to consider um, as an entrepreneur. Um, and as you're starting your company, all of your systems tend to revolve around you, 
right? It's mm, easier. Yeah. You're creating workflows and you're creating things that work for you. But as your company evolves over time and you bring on different team members, it's really important to recognize that not everyone is going to think perceive or act the same way as you. Um, and same with the client. And so you want to think about the client, but you also want to think about the other personalities on your team that maybe would be executing this role. And so I know for me, um, my husband works with me full-time. He's our media buyer. Um, I went through and we needed to evolve the way that we were tracking some of our Facebook ad systems today. Um, I did just that. I looked at what the client feedback was just about campaign. I noticed some inefficiencies and then I worked backwards in a time block this morning to try to see the best way to solve it. And then I brought in my husband who has a very different personality um, and way of doing things than I do to walk mm. through and like put somebody in through this system as an example before I finish the entire infrastructure. So another helpful tool that I recommend is using a personality assessment, um, whether it be DISC, whether it be um, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Colby Index, there's so many different ones. I like DISC because it's short and it's simple. But thinking through other people on your team and how they might their workflow might differ and helping being able to hit visual learners, um, task and list learners, um, and creating systems that incorporate all of those different personalities. Love it. Love it. I almost preempted my next, next question because I was going to ask if you're managing a team and you have someone on the team that's actually not following your systems and you just can't pers persuade them to follow your systems and they think perhaps the way that they're doing things is more efficient or the, or the best way. Uh, how do you get someone to follow you? Is it a case of doing what you said and looking at their personality and appealing to that nature? Or do you have to sometimes amend the team system to an individual? Oh, that's such a good question. And it's tough. There's not a black or white answer. Um, I know the culture of our company and the leadership that I try to provide for our whole team is I always say that um, the thing to remember too, as you are the business owner, the entrepreneur, really stepping into a CEO role, um, as your company grows, the thing that I always tell our team is that at at this point in our company, a lot of our team is in more of the day-to-day -day operations and the client execution than I am. I'm really focusing on our sales, on our bottom line, on our profitability, a lot of those things. And so though I was the one that started and we started our agency from the ground up with me being a side hustler to a solopreneur, went through all those stages, um, at this point in time, as the marketing, um, the marketing landscape evolves, there are elements that our team being kind of boots on ground and the one that are executing those things are able to accomplish better than I am. So I always tell our team in our meetings that um, if they want to challenge the system that's in place and they have a better one, that by all means, I want to see what they come up with. So um, the SOPs are there for a reason. And so I will tell them, continue to follow what we have in place. But in our next meeting, I would like to see what you would do better. So if you are going to improve this, because we can always constantly um, continue to be improving, like, what would you do? And then I like to kind of see what they've come up with. And then we'll kind of meet in the middle. And I'll be like, okay, I can see why you maybe wanted this. This can come into the system. But here's why this policy or this procedure exists. Because sometimes, too, um, I think as leaders, we have this tendency, we we maybe think that we communicated something, but maybe didn't. And a lot of times, team members, if they can know the why behind why something is in place, they're going to be on board with that. They just need to understand the importance or the rationale that that's there. But that being said, we have an open door policy to where 
if someone can do something better than me, I want to see it, but I just want to know how, and then we'll typically come through. The other thing that we'll do too, is let's say somebody's doing something. There's a personality, um, that maybe is efficient at one thing, but not another. We have our SOPs, um, our standard operating procedures, like broken down by role as well. So for instance, for our Facebook ad campaign SOP, there are a lot of, there are multiple team members involved. We have um, one phase of that process that is toward sales and then another that's toward operations for onboarding. Then we have the creative element that's a different person. And then we have the media buyer. So we do have those broken up by role as well. And then sometimes we'll have to segment and isolate a different section of the system to really nail down um, what that will look like for each person. Great stuff. Okay. So that's focusing in on, I guess, if one individual isn't satisfied with the system that you already have in place. Uh, and you also mentioned earlier on, if something's broken, that's what to focus in on. However, what if something isn't broken? What, what if you think everything is operating fairly smoothly? Is there ever time that you should actually try and break something yourself or try and improve something, even though you're fairly happy with the system that you currently got? That's a really good question. Um, goodness, I'm trying to think of a case where we've done that. Um, I think we can constantly be improving. I know for us, the way that we will maybe introduce new things is our operations director is always reaching out um, and making sure our clients like are getting like the feedback and that they're getting the results and the things that they want. And so anytime we see something, we try, we try not to create problems that don't exist, right? Um, we don't want to just be creating systems for the sake of creating systems. We want to create them to solve real and tangible problems. But that being said, um, the way that we kind of make that distinguisher, if we need to test something or do something differently, um, it's just kind of one being open or like communicating with peers and colleagues and just seeing the changes that are happening in the industry. Like for instance, um, to give you a concrete example, and again, I'm completely speaking from my world here, um, in the advertising space, but, um, with a lot of the iOS updates, for example, that are affecting Facebook and advertising. Um, so I would say industry changes, right? If you know from mm. colleagues or in the press um, that there's probably a major change that's going to come to the industry, then that's a good time to be thinking ahead and trying new things so that you are ahead because it's not if, it's when that change is going to happen. So that's one example where I would say, yes, it's helpful to be thinking ahead. Um, the other example would be um, if you're getting kind of wind from a client that something could be better or that client maybe is tempted, I don't know, to go elsewhere to try something, then that's maybe another indicator that you need to be improving so that you can continue to keep up with your competitors. Brilliant answer. I can throw any question ask, uh, at you, Ashley, and you can answer it. No problem at all. Oh, thank you, David. <laughs> but, I had to think about that one for a second. That was good. <laughs> Look, I tell you what, let's segue to the second um, section of our discussion. So it's now time to think about your thoughts on the state of digital marketing today in general. So let's start off with secret software. So Ashley, share a lesser known MarTech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why the tool is important to you. Oh my goodness. So I don't know how lesser known, but I just have to continue. I am such a proponent of ClickUp. I love ClickUp. Um, for anyone listening, and I know you've heard me rave about ClickUp before. <laughs> That's great, yeah. Um, people, I don't know how well-known it is now or not. It wasn't as well-known a few years ago, but it's a project management tool like a Trello, a Sauna, a Rike, Um, but it's just so intuitive. I mean, I, I have to use, I have to say it every time because I 
if something were to happen to the software, granted, we've got everything back up, it would just, my heart would break because we use ClickUp for so many different things. Um, it's just so invaluable. So blending it back to the, the previous part of the conversation, if you were hiring someone um, to be a virtual assistant for you, would it be absolutely essential for them to have prior ClickUp experience or can you quite easily train them on the use of that? It's more important that they can actually do the the, the job apart from use the software that you're looking for them to use. Oof, that's tough because if they're a VA, then it becomes contractor, employee, right? There's all these things going through mm. my head. I would say when I, um, when I look to hire um, for any role, I care more about the competency of the person and their, uh, and the cultural fit too, especially if it's an employee coming on, that's the most important thing to me. Um, so I would say they don't necessarily, I don't expect them, especially with how robust ClickUp is and how we use it. Um, I don't expect anyone to come in and have a full understanding, but I would say the, the more of the softer skills, like problem solving or intuitiveness or ability to adapt and to adjust, those are going to be more important um, than using the software itself. I believe everybody can be trained. Um, with that being said, if it's somebody that maybe isn't tech savvy and they they aren't they don't have that figure it out kind of mentality and they can't kind of keep up, then I would that would be a deal breaker. So it's less to me about the software um, and more about the person's ability. Um, just as we all know, as marketers, things are changing constantly. And so if you're not adaptable and you're not really willing to roll with the punches, then that's really more of the differentiator that's going to break that experience. But I will say it is important to us. Anytime we have an employee come on, um, they, the first thing that we do is onboard them and click up and we want them to understand it as quickly as possible. Um, just because it's the easiest way for us to organize all of, all of our material for sure. And if you've got great systems in place, you can systemize the training, um, in click up. So that's not a problem at all. Yes. Yes, we can. A hundred percent. So let's move on from something that you currently use to something you're going to use next on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't, that you haven't used yet, but you want to try soon? Okay. I'm very, I might nerd out a little bit about this one, but it is Hyros. Um, so if you're a media buyer or you're anybody that's running any kind of advertising champ campaign, Hyros is new AI um, sales and revenue tracking. And so we just got off a demo with them yesterday. I was so, so, so incredibly impressed by them. But basically what Hyros allows you to do is they have some of the most robust and sophisticated reporting that I've ever seen from marketers. And so um, to give you kind of a very high level overview, you're able to track the customer journey from the very, very first interaction of the sales process and be able to pull from a lot of different data points from different platforms. And so um, from any kind of an agency perspective, let's say, um, I'm working with a client that we got them a lead through advertising and they're maybe arguing that it came through organically. Well, Facebook, Google Analytics, a lot of the software that we use to track data can over or under report as we all know. And sometimes I know for us, a bottleneck is fact checking and making sure that things are reporting accurately. Uh, what Hyros allows you to do is since they're mapping and tracking a lot of that for you, you can see the entire lifetime value and purchase history of your clients. Um, so let's say we got a lead through advertising, but somebody says, oh no, it's showing or Facebook showing they reported organically. We can track them from the beginning and say, nope, actually this lead came through from our ads. Um, the other cool thing that it allows you to do 
is I know um, with Facebook and Google Analytics specifically, sometimes, um, particularly for media buyers, um, what I will notice is that there will be, when you're making changes based on reporting, sometimes you're making changes based on flawed data. But let's say somebody made a purchase and the cost to acquire that lead was $400, whereas other leads were maybe $15 to $20 to acquire. Most media buyers would say, oh, that's way too high. It's out of range. We don't need to run that campaign. Well, Hyros would allow you to go back and track all the way from the beginning to say, well, this $300 lead actually generated $24,000 in revenue from when they purchased this course or this product or this coaching, whereas these leads only spent $1,000. It can track names, email. It's just incredibly robust. So I will hop off my soapbox, but it is definitely a tool to check out. I tell you what, when, when you were on your uh, your soapbox, I still couldn't find um, the, who exactly you were talking about there. How do you spell it? Is it high? Yeah, it's H-Y-R-O-S. And it's um, legendary tracking for Facebook ads. It is, um, it's pretty impressive. Got it. Okay, hyros.com is their website. So I'll make sure the link to that is in the in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com as well. Um, so let's move on to, so this is the <laughs> quick response round, 10 quick questions, just two real rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much and you're only okay. allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Are you ready? Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> TikTok or Twitter? TikTok. Facebook or LinkedIn? Facebook. I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) YouTube or podcast? Podcast. Traffic or leads? Leads. Paid search or SEO? Paid search. Ads or influencers? Ads. (laughs) I have to answer that way, right? (laughs) Google ads or Facebook ads? Facebook ads. Email or chat? Chat. Martech stack or all-in-one platform? (sighs) Stack. Has to be a stack. One-to-one or scale? Oh, scale. That was relatively easy for you there as well. I think the, (laughs) the, 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 (laughs) the slight pause was on email or chat. Is that because you're starting to embrace chat marketing more than email? I had to think about that. You know, email... I, it's so, it's so challenging because, um, email I feel like has always been, I don't think it's going anywhere, but we see there's so much junk, um, and email open rates continue to go down. Um, certainly I'm still a huge proponent of email marketing and it's so effective, but using chat, um, text messaging, I feel like that's the wave of the future and it's less saturated. Um, whereas email has become very oversaturated, obviously existed the longest. Um, Mm. But I feel like there is a lot more opportunity utilizing platforms like MediChat, Community, Twilio, um, and going that direction. Because it also, the other factor, um, it allows, even though you're scaling, it allows that one-to-one intimate conversation. So email, you're still, you're writing longer snippets of copy and you're, even though it's, you're trying to write specifically to one person, it's going out to the masses. Whereas there's something about getting a notification on chat um, or text that feels a lot more personal. But I had to think about it because I do, I still am a huge advocate and proponent of email marketing as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it, it'll evolve. I did uh, a bit of research on email marketing, the history of email marketing from a conversation with Teresa Heath Waring for a previous episode and apparently um, the first email mass email campaign was sent more than 40 years ago before the the start wow. of the world wide web so it has been along for, 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 for quite a while yeah. and it'll be interesting to see if chat marketing still exists in 40 years time or if 
as a medium, people are just going to get fed up of marketers moving on there and perhaps something else will exist that doesn't even exist at the moment. I know. I see it being some some way related to AI. I think AI hmm. is really becoming the future of marketing in a lot of ways. I know we're testing it out in a lot of different areas with Hyros, and then there's another copywriting tool called Jarvis. There are a lot of really fascinating AI tools. So I think that's probably where we're going. It's just how do we leverage that and will AI or how soon really will AI be as intuitive to <laughs> you and I having a conversation? I think it could very well go that way. Will there be any need for human being copywriters in 10 years time? David, it's hard to say. I, with, when we started using Jarvis, um, man, it's, and that's what it is. That would be my second pick. If I could pick a second tool that we're starting to explore, it's basically copywriting AI and you can feed different content. Um, there's still a lot of human touches that are needed to kind of factor in. You can pick a tone of voice, um, but you still have to factor in a lot of details. But in 10 years time, just seeing where everything has come, honestly, I don't know. I think there may still be that need maybe for that management piece to make sure everything, but with the way that our technology has evolved, truly, David, it's tough to say. I I don't know. I don't know what that will look like, which is crazy to even be saying that. Okay, so Jarvis is from a company called Conversation.ai. And that, yes. that, that, that's our website address. Yes, absolutely see that there. Okay, check that out there. You're always throwing up tools that I haven't heard of before. So <laughs> I know, I have to be careful. You got to be careful when we talk. I know, I have to be careful too. It's been when we, we, we only test one tool at a time. That's the rule. <laughs> well, I have to be careful because I try and find them while we're having a conversation. So that makes yeah. it doubly more difficult if it's uh, <laughs> something that's spelt in a weird way. Because I mean, something that's, right. that's pronounced Hyros or Hyros. Yeah. Uh, there, there would be 101 ways of spelling that, surely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's all these different techie names, 100%. So the $10,000 question. The next question is, if I was to give you $10,000, you had to spend it over the next few days in a single thing to grow your business. What would you spend it on and how would you measure success? So simple for me to answer. It would be coaching. Um, the reason being every time I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, another coaching program. But what I know to be true as a CEO and just the leader of my company, that the more I invest in myself, I am the cap um, that is able to lead my team. And anytime I hit a plateau or that I'm not able to accomplish something that affects everybody else because they'll never work or outwork or me. Right. And so for me, um, knowing, making that investment back in myself, back in my company, and we still, I continue to invest in coaching. It would probably just be in a more specific area or maybe not coaching some form of education for my people and team. Um, that would be where that money would be spent. Um, as far as measuring success, um, obviously it's a little bit harder to measure an investment like coaching. Right. But when I think about profitability centers within our agency, our people as we grow and scale are what make us profitable. Our team and the people working behind the scenes um, are what allow us to be profitable. And so if I can invest in their skills or training and get them um, to be able to outperform where they're at now, that immediately affects our efficiency and profitability. And so um, how do we measure it? I would be, depending on the training or education that we would invest that $10,000 in, I would set KPIs to see here's where we're at now and here's where we need to be in order to make this investment um, a 4x return. And how do you identify what you're going to coach them in? Because it could be something that you want to do in the future. It could be something that the employee's currently struggling with that, that, that they've identified. Who, who makes that decision? 
Ooh, this is tough. I would say it's going to vary. It's going to vary where the business is at. I know for us right now, um, messaging is probably the biggest growth area, right? So I would say overall, it's important. We've got those SOPs. We've got those, we've got KPIs to track. And so for me, um, since we track and measure absolutely everything, um, making that decision, whether it be now or a few months from now, is going to be based off the KPIs and based off the gaps. And so looking at those KPIs and where things could be improved, that's going to um, give the maximum return, that's where I would spend that investment. So right now um, it is messaging because that is really the area and the differentiator. So that's where we're pooling all of our, all of our energy right now. It's messaging month at media to really continue to just provide that seamless process. Great stuff. Yeah. You don't need any softball questions. Hardball questions is <laughs> the way to go with you. That's, that's fine. I love it. I did. I did prep. I did. I had, I was trying to think through some of these. So <laughs> Well, we're just about um, towards the end. Um, to finish off, let's um, shift the focus to someone else who deserves it. Magical marketer. So who's an upcoming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? Oh my goodness. I would say right now, Brandy Mouse. That is the number one person that comes to mind. She um, is a course creator, a coach, and then she's also an ad strategist as well. Um, and so she's been someone that I've looked to and learned from a lot over the last several years. But notable things that I'm seeing, she was one of the people that um, introduced me to Hyros. I would say just the up and coming and continuing to educate. And she's moved more from an agency or um, a service provider model to really helping other entrepreneurs grow in that area so she would be one to definitely follow and see what's going on but oh. great example of somebody that um focuses and streamlines down and is not focused on a lot of things but efficiency in one category great okay and i was just trying to figure out how to spell her surname is it just um brandy yeah. williams mills um is that her, um, um who we're talking about there I'm trying to think. It's B-R-A-N-D-I-M-O-W-L-E-S. And she actually, David, may not have a website. This is one of the things that I love about Brandy is that I believe her website is under construction. And so she grew her company to well over a million in revenue without a website. And it's just because of those key things like um, focusing on processes, focusing on what really moves the needle instead of trying to do all the different things. So definitely something to watch. Superb. Yeah. In fact, I think I found her. It's a B-R-A-N-D-I-M-O-W-L-E-S. And it just says uh, it, it, her website's her domain, her name is her domain, domain name. And it just says new, new site coming soon. So brilliant stuff. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, this was obviously episode 239 of Digital Marketing Radio. You shared some incredible, wonderful tips as part of the conversation. Um, we're talking about business systemization <laughs> to begin with. Systemizing, systemization. I don't know which one to use um, as, as your business grows. Um, <laughs> why do I confuse myself like that? Um, we, we, you also mentioned um, what got you here won't get you there. Uh, start with a client in mind as well. So lots of wonderful advice in that uh, initial section of the discussion. Your secret software Click up next on the list, Hyros, H Y R O S. And you also talked about conversion.ai, Jarvis, as well. Your magic, magical marketer, Brandy Moles. Um, everything, of course, that you mentioned in the show notes uh, will in the, show, in the uh, discussion today will be in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com and on the YouTube channel. Uh, just search Digital Marketing Radio on YouTube for that one there. Ashley, what's the best social platform for someone to follow you and say hi? Oh, goodness, Facebook or LinkedIn? 
Facebook or LinkedIn for sure. Yes, I live on, I guess I live on all of them, but those are the top two. Absolutely superb. Well, I'll make sure I include links to your site by its media and also your social profiles there in the show notes there as well. Um, thank you so much for coming on today. Great episode. Uh, I'll just say that um, I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Um, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, please try and leave a little bit of feedback, add to the conversation yourself as well. We'll certainly check that out there. But until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com 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 DigitalMarketingRadio.com